I'm ready to make my credits count. I'm ready to take classes from a university that will help me build on my experience to prepare me for the future. A university that will make me feel supported, encouraged, and connected. Click this ad or go to online.odu.edu today. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Sacktown Royalty Show. I am your host, Tony Zipteris, and joining me on the podcast this week to talk about the first annual California Classic are two friends of the show who were fortunate enough to be in attendance for the California Classic, Sacktown Royalty's own photojournalist, Kamani Okira, and King's season ticket holder slash recurring guest, Jill Adge. How is everyone doing today? Good. How are you guys doing? I'm doing fantastic. You know, uh, the California Classic was really fun, and I combined that with a little family vacation, so I hadn't been home pretty much for that whole trip or since the first game started. So uh, I'm home today, and I'm uh, relaxing, and that's nice. <laughs> well, uh, that's a good, good place to start, because before we get into how the Young Kings looked on the court, I did want to take a few minutes and talk about the event particularly for those that, like myself that couldn't make it. Kamani, I'll start with you, but feel free to jump in, Jill. What did you guys make of the California Classic as a new basketball event in Sacramento? Um, you know, I uh, it's it's a great idea. Uh, j- just the ticket receipts alone show that, um, you know, the fans have extreme interest in that. Um, for e- even for the games that weren't the Kings games, you know, the Lakers, Warriors, and Heat games, the, uh, you know, the fans were there for that. Um, not in the same numbers, but it was, it was amazing. It was, it was an incredible thing to witness. Um, the arena staff did a fantastic job, you know, for it's kind of a curveball thrown their way. Hey, everybody working in the middle, uh, at the beginning of July now. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, you know, but the environment was great. The, uh, I, I heard the food was great for the fans and, um, yeah, it was a really good environment. And, you know, the, the neat thing about being a media member in that environment is you have four different teams there. So you have their uh, media apparatuses, their their front offices, their scouts, and you get to rub shoulders with a lot of different people. So uh, that, that particularly was personally very fun for me. Yeah, um, totally agree. The, uh, the event was, was amazing. And like he said, you had such a diverse group there where I had – um, met Sacramento fans that had never gone to a game before, but for $10 tickets, they were able to take the whole family and attend um, and still get really quality seats. Um, I met people from the Bay Area that have been priced out of being able to go to Warriors games, so this was an opportunity for them to be able to take their family, and they understood they weren't going to be seeing, obviously, the Warriors, but they still got to go and see a game. Uh, we had our usual, you know, Laker bandwagon fan people that came up, and you got to, and you got to hear the arguments over Kobe and LeBron around you, which were just funny. But yeah, no, the food was good. Everyone was seemed to be in a really good mood, having a good time. The players really seemed to enjoy it because hearing a lot of them talk, they had never experienced anything like that before. Depending on where you went to college. Um, and then for someone like Harry Giles, it was his, you know, introduction to the Sacramento essentially on the court and hearing everything he had to say was 
was pretty cool. Yeah, I'll just speak to someone who didn't get to go to the event, but it was pretty cool that the Kings or, or Sacramento had something like that that was on NBA TV too for you know for three days. Uh, Sacramento kind of dominated a channel like NBA TV, which was cool to see. And obviously the fans sounded great, um, whether it was a Kings game or not, but in particular with the Kings games, you got like the rest you suck chants and all sorts of other uh, very non-Summer League type chants, which is just... Um, I don't know. It's a cool thing to say. I think it rep- you guys represented the city well. The fans who were in attendance, the media who covered it, just from the outside looking in, it was um, definitely shed a good basketball light on Sacramento, which is not always the case when you look at some of the moves the team makes. Um, a lot of bad press comes out from moves the front office makes, but from like a, you know, we've always said this with the Kings, actually. Their business ops are pretty good between how awesome the arena turned out um, and events like this. It seems like they really they really nailed it, at least from the outside. And it sounds like you guys had a good time being there, too. So Yeah, and you got a lot of media people who, like you said, don't get to see how, I mean, we are as a fan base. You, you hear it a lot. I mean, because we preach it all the time that, I mean, no matter how bad we are, we all still show up year mm-hmm. after year. The place is never empty. Um, it might not be a sellout, but it's not empty by any means compared to some of these other places that actually have good teams. And uh, so you saw some tweets from different media people kind of surprised, like, oh, wow, you know, the, the place is sold out or all these people are there just to watch Thunder League. Well, it's like, yeah, we do that all the time. <laughs> no matter what, you know, if it's Thunder League, a regular season, you know, we show up. Oh yeah, no. This city is very used to uh, to showing up for. Uh, I won't call it bad basketball, but subpar. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. You know, like it, this city's never had a problem for showing up for uh, for for any kind of product that goes out on the court. So um, it would be very smart for them to uh, do this again next year. I now, uh, Jill. I wonder because uh, when this was first announced, I I could have sworn that the Clippers were announced with the group of teams, yeah. and then they were. Uh, then the heat got yeah. swapped in at a later date. So like, it's supposed to be the California classic with all four California teams. Like that's, I think yes, the gist. I guess the Clippers dropped that last minute and they were saying um, on the radio yesterday that Vladi gave Pat Riley a call and he accepted immediately. They didn't give a reason why, at least they didn't announce it publicly why the Clippers backed out. But, um, and I think the heat also used to go when Orlando had it. So I think they used to go to Orlando and then Vegas, if I'm not mistaken. So this was an opportunity again for them to get to play two different summer leagues. Yeah, yeah. So, and I would like to see them. Um, I mean, it would be great to stick to the four California teams, but since the first one didn't didn't even have that, I would actually like to see them expand the league and invite, you know, maybe uh, two to four more teams, and because uh, they could tuck in another uh, another game on every day, you know. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. And then, Tony, I wonder, um, it was Grant and Doug on the call for both games uh, throughout the whole event, right? Uh, I only saw the Kings ones. I know they did all the Kings games. I can't speak to who called the other ones. I think it was them, though, from what I remember seeing on Twitter. I think it was both of them. Gotcha. Well, uh, you know, I'm, I am I love uh, Grant and Doug, so I am concerned about their well-being. And I think right. them doing that long of days in terms of announcing is... Uh, you know, just four hours straight of, of summer league basketball. You know, may, maybe there's an opportunity for the the Kings to uh, see about some try out some different talent. You know, do open it up to the community 
in terms of the uh, in terms of commentating and and the, and the color commentary. So I don't know, just an idea. That'd be an also, interesting idea. Yeah. I know uh, the Reno Bighorns are doing that thing on Twitch where you can like host the Bighorns stream and like call it yourself. Right. That's kind of an interesting hmm. idea. I hadn't quite thought of. I don't. I don't know if the NBA TV would allow that. But if they get more teams that uh, can't air all the games, maybe if they're doing like a Facebook stream or something like that, throw in a different commentary team. That could be a fun idea. Yeah, just uh, just uh, you know, I'm a. I always think about uh, how the Kings are are more in tune with the community than um, I won't say than other teams. It's hard to make that comparison, but they're definitely a, a top notch product when it comes to integration with the community. Uh, definitely, I also call them the Big Horns. I meant, of course, the Stockton Kings. Now that's going to take a little bit. Oh easy. right. Um, yeah, I totally forgot about yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I promise we are going to talk about the players, but I just remembered that Jill had a very interesting plane ride over to Vegas. If you can't talk about it, I'll edit this part out. But Jill, what uh, what was your plane ride like? No, um, yeah, it was for literally the whole um, King Summer League, uh, part of the front office, coaches, um, the uh, medical staff, and players. Literally, they took up half of the Southwest plane. Um, wow. Yeah, I mean, I kind of left them alone. I mean, you know, they they all looked pretty tired, and I figured this was before the craziness of Vegas that was kind of going to be their little bit of relaxation time. I did give, like, a little um, good job to a couple different guys like Harry and Cam Reynolds and stuff like that. Um, Harry was all smiles, like, all excited. I mean, that, you know. And that's what's being talked about right now is he's like the forgotten guy. And so it was pretty funny when I was said, good job, Harry. Some of the other players were asked, like, oh, my God, someone knows who you are. Like, oh, <laughs> like, totally ratty. I mean, like, it was cute. It was funny. Um, but they all genuinely seemed excited. You know, a lot of these guys were going, trying to make a roster somewhere. So, but, yeah, no, it was really cool being on, being on the plane. But I, you know. I left him alone and didn't really. Must have been a lot of a lot of tight seating. You got the uh, all those yeah. giants sitting in a but, regular yeah, I mean, huge, yeah, and the funniest part was on the tram back. When you get into Vegas, you get on their little you know tram that takes you to the to the luggage mm-hmm. area, and that was packed with you know seven or six foot five you know to seven footers, and I'm five foot two on a good day. <laughs> And so I'm standing there, and you have Bagley, who's 6'11", Sam Reynolds, and then I think it was Gabriel. We're all standing around me, and it's like, oh, like you know, you're up to their waist maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's totally surreal that you forget how big these guys are until you're just literally standing next to them, and it's like, holy crap. Yeah, there's a reason why, uh, but, aside from their talent, that they are um, they're in the NBA or aspiring to be. <laughs> yeah. But I will say, flying to Vegas, it was, it was a cool thing being on our flight, for sure. So. Mm. All right. Well, I suppose we should start talking about uh, some players here. And we'll start with what might be the most uncomfortable discussion, and that is regarding the second overall pick, Marvin Bagley, who uh, I'll leave you guys to your judgment so I don't cloud the narrative here, but uh, his numbers weren't great. And I guess I'll start with Kamani. What did you make of Bagley's play during his first three summer league games? And I, and I will say, 
you know, just as a blanket thing. I think we all understand that this is just summer league. We're not passing sweeping judgments on him as a player or a person or whatever. It's his first three professional games, and they're not even professional games. They're summer league games. So we And we all understand that. So anything we say is, you know, it's based off of what we saw in three games, not his future as an NBA player. But uh, right. Kamani, go ahead. Uh, well, here's what here's my observation. I don't think that there should be any kind of panic mode regarding Bagley um, because guess what? The coaches in summer league, they're coaching for their jobs too. So, uh, you know, what I saw was a well-scouted player. That's what I saw, especially in game three coming from Spolstra's staff, who is, uh, you know, his staff is, is top notch when it comes to advanced scouting. Uh, and, uh, you know, B- Bagley is a, he's a very talented guy, but all of his tendencies, you know, you pick up watching one game from him. Uh, if he goes right, it's one dribble, and he switches back to his left where he pulls up. Uh, you know, normally, and then it's really easy to force him to go left because that's his natural inclination to do it anyway. Uh, <clears throat> so I, I'm not I'm not necessarily hitting the panic mode. Um, Bam Adebayo is like twice his size, so that's that's a concern uh, for you know from the uh, the game yes was it yesterday yeah yesterday mm-hmm. and. Um, I just saw a player that was really uh, well well scouted in terms of the advanced scouting, especially against the Miami Heat. Um, I don't know, you know, I, so I'm not hitting that panic button um, because I saw what I saw in the first game was a very active, uh, punishing player, and then, but he was playing against Mo Wagner, you know, and then all of a sudden he's against Damian Jones, who's a uh, who's uh, who has already been in uh, in the NBA for a year, and then he's going against Bam Adebayo, who's a uh, you know, a very good NBA player. So uh, his competition got tougher as the tournament went on, and, or not the tournament, but, you know, the competition went on. And um, by the by the time he faced the Heat, it was very clear what his tendencies were and how to play against him and how to defend him. So I'm not, I'm not heading for the hills on Bagley. It's fine. He just needs to really build out his game. He really needs to add that right hand. Um, and when he drives right, he can't, then go up with his left hand. He needs to figure out how to finish with his right hand too. So uh, that will open up the floor so much for him. Just and then um, James Ham pointed out that he's still shooting college threes. So his uh, his long his long balls are coming up a foot short because he, he mentally he's still uh, on that college three point line. But you know we're sitting here what like four months after the college season, so it's not. This isn't drastic. This is this is what's supposed to happen. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, and I saw the first two games. I didn't get to see the third. I've watched some of the tapes, and he by the end he kind of looked like he was forcing some of it. Um, but I think that's just frustration, and that's totally understandable. Um, but there were also times where you could see him. He's dribbling with his back to the basket and yelling at people to cut, yelling at people to move. Because, I mean, like I said for most of the time, you have five guys standing for the most part in the key. And I don't care how athletic a guy is, that's one against five, one against three, it's not going to work. I mean, they were clearly, every time he got the ball, he was essentially being double teamed, if not at times being triple teamed. And there was no other threat, and there's no other threat of shooting or anything like that on the court they're going to go to him. And so, I mean, I thought he was kind of at a disadvantage at times with that, where the first game when he played with Fox, that wasn't the case at all. 
I mean, when you had that starting five that they had, um, for the most part, people were staying on their guys. I also thought that Fox did a better job of putting him in position, better position. Um, he wasn't so far away from the basket. Um, I think he needs to work on when he catches the ball with his back to the basket and he does turn to the front, um, reading his player, what kind of player is guarding him, um, regarding his pump fake, quick step, things like that, and what he can take advantage of. Because he still is very athletic. And once he starts being able to read the other guys that are on him, um, I think that'll make a difference. Where in college and high school and things, he went against a lot of the same people. And I think that was an advantage to him. Where now he's going up against some of these guys that he probably has never gone up before or it's been a while. Um, like uh, you saying about um, Bam, I mean, body style score is completely different. And that just continues to what people were saying, that he's got to get in the weight room and you have to improve that. Um, but that's not a surprise to anybody. Um, some of the question marks, too, when he was coming out was that he would disappear at times on offense. And I know watching back some of the tapes, at least for yesterday's game, there were multiple times when they would run down the floor and he wouldn't touch the ball at all. Right. Um, yeah. I don't know if I don't, I don't think you can continue to do that if you want to get him involved. Um, I think that, I mean, that's an issue as well. But it's also some of the league where a lot of these guys, they're coming out to put up the numbers and be flashy themselves, you know, trying to make a spot. So it's not always totally team friendly either. Um, what was it? Uh, a lot of his stuff looked choreographed. There was specifically in the Laker game, he had a great spin move. And if he had gone up with his right hand, I, I mean, it would have been maybe a one foot, like minimal little hook shot. But right. he spun and then tried to throw it up with his left. And I mean, they swatted it right in the face. I mean, you totally yeah. knew what he was going to be doing. And he would, like you were saying, he would make it so much easier on himself if he can figure out that right hand. Um, right. When it comes and, uh, to his, yeah, the jumps, you know, how we hear about how he has all this great first jump, second jump, and all that. Um, playing three games in four days, I think that maybe could have something to do with, you know, tired legs. I don't know. I was in Vegas when Willie had his first year, and he could barely play three minutes before he kept having to be taken off the court. So the fact that he was actually able to last during these games, to me, is a good sign. Um, he still looked tired. Um, but the fact, I mean, his conditioning looks at least better in regards to some of the other big men we've thrown out there in recent years. So, Yeah, um, <laughs> that's an yeah. understatement. <laughs> yeah. But I'm not totally, like you said, in panic mode. I think a lot of the things we're seeing are things that people were talking about, you know, before the draft. And there are things that people know that have to get addressed. If these things aren't addressed during the year, you know, then I will obviously start worrying. But, I mean, I'm not going to start worrying over three games. Like I said, what was going on wasn't a surprise to me. So, I'm not... I'm not and freak out mode. And you made a good point. You know, having that leader on the floor the first game in De'Aaron Fox, 
uh, really helps his game out. It just really does. I think he needs somebody like that on the floor to have uh, his highest potential impact. Um, and, yeah, the, what you said about uh, him going up with his left on that one play, I think I actually have a picture of that exact squat. So I was running that back in my mind. Um, but uh, the antithesis to Marvin, I, I think, in terms of the conditioning and keeping up with the game was Harry because he was in – he was – you know, 100% energy the whole time, all three games. Yeah. It was lovely to watch from Harry. And uh, as much as Marvin Bagley is definitely not a three, like, I, you know, I'm, I'm just saying, sorry, Vlade. Every, there's nothing about his game that suggests that he could play on the perimeter with, uh, with consistency. Um, as much as uh, Bagley isn't a three, I think Harry could sneak in there at the three and play some minutes there. So, you know, I don't know. You go into this this season hoping that Harry can start there, but um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how this roster works out with, over the next few days of free agency. So, yeah, yeah, and I do think he plays so much better when it's an up tempo game rather than the half court sets. And once again, that's not anything new that we didn't already know. And right. I think you're seeing why right now until he can figure out his his post moves and how to use his gifts and how to, to read what the defense is giving him. that those fast breaks and to get him in transition are super important. And there were multiple times where Harry and Bagley both were running the court, but there was no guard looking up to give them the ball. So, I mean, and I, that's not going to be the case during the regular season. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly something to be said about, about the point guard play and, and how much, better badly looked uh, with De'Aaron Fox. But, you know, even in games two and three, with Fox not playing, Bagley still got the ball in some advantageous positions, whether that's in the post without anyone, in, like, isolation in the post or up at the top of the key with an opportunity to face mm-hmm. up and attack off the bounce. And it, to me, it didn't seem like he really had, like, any go-to moves on offense. And it's unfair what I'm about to do, but it's also kind of all I can do, is compare kind of what DeMarcus Cousins was in his first summer league. Cousins wasn't great in every game, but he was big enough and strong enough, even against NBA caliber athletes, where he could just turn right. that left shoulder in and a nice half hook over the top, and he had some go-to post moves. He looked a lot more composed with the ball. What I saw from Bagley was a guy who didn't show a whole lot of composure whenever he did get the ball, even in advantageous positions. Because, again, there was a lot of times where he got the ball into the shot clock or it was a bad pass and he had to kind of adjust. And you can kind of right. clear him of responsibility for those plays being uh, uh, not beneficial for the Kings. But when he did get the ball and it was time for him to attack, like you said, Jill, it was a lot of predictable post moves. And even beyond that, like there was, he was playing too fast, which a lot of coaches and even Harry Giles and De'Aaron Fox alluded to when they talked about him mm-hmm. in those training camp, uh, those like pre-California Classic practices. I think you, I think Giles specifically said like, yeah, yeah. Well, once he slows down, you know, like we got to get him to slow down. Yep. And I think you saw exactly that in Summer League where he got the ball and it was like, oh, I got the ball, I got the ball. Like, what am I going to do? I, I, and his speed, right? you know, he didn't have the handle yet to beat guys off the dribble and he didn't have the strength to take NBA caliber defenders like you guys were saying, um, but also Jordan Bell was there and Bam, of course, is just a, a giant. Like you're not going to outstrength those guys like someone like DeMarcus right. Cousins could. So you've got a guy who who might not be strong enough in the post just yet, um, without a confident handle and without a go-to post move. Uh, yeah, he struggled to score in the half court. And I think Doug Christie actually made a good point. 
it's kind of a silly point, uh, but it, there is something to it, and that's when you struggle like Bagley did, it can be a good thing if you look at it in that light, where it can kind of mm-hmm. humble you. Because I know Bagley coming into the draft, he was very, he was almost disrespected by the fact that Aiton was like the clear cut number one big. He was talking a lot of game about how he was going to be the best player from the draft, whatever. And he gets into summer league, at least the first three games, struggles a little bit, struggles mightily, depending on who you talk to. Um, has some clear holes in his game, some clear things he needs to work on. And, uh, you know, if he had gone into the summer having crushed it in summer league, I'm not saying he doesn't work as hard necessarily because, you know, that's suggesting he doesn't have a good work ethic, which I don't think is true. But maybe this gives him just a little added motivation. Like, man, I'm further away than I thought that I maybe I thought I was. Like, I need to really get in the gym and bulk up because Bam pushed me around. And Jordan Bell was matched my athleticism. I thought I was the best athlete here. If that can humble him a little bit and, and get him to work harder in the gym, then then maybe this is uh, not the worst thing in the world. Of course, that's a positive spin on what was not a great first three games. But uh, I'm certainly not, you know, I'm not jumping off the Bagley bandwagon or whatever. I don't, I don't think he's going to be a bad player just because of three poor games. But they were three poor games. Well, two and a half. He was he was better in the first game. And that's kind of all, right. all I can say about it. There were times where he would get the ball in a good position. But he, and he would pump fake like five times really fast, but like it wouldn't do anything exactly. because it was going so fast. And so, I mean, the defender never really fell for anything because, I mean, maybe you slow that down and you do two and then go up with the hook or something like that. But I think once he develops that and can figure it out, um, that can make a huge difference because if he can leap as high as everyone's saying that he can, then he should be able to leap up and get that hook over without a guy blocking you. It would be nice to see Bagley uh, develop a, a really nice, smooth jump hook from with his right or his left. I think that that would really open up his uh, his scoring potential. Um, from what I saw from Bagley, I, I, this and you know this, uh, I think will round out my point on him. Um, his floor is like a Jason Thompson type player. Like that's that's the worst he's going to be. I think that's um, fair. So. And, you know, you don't want that with the the, the number two pick, but uh, at the same time, it's not exactly, you know, pack the bags ahead for the hills. Um, I think the, the California Classic did bring up another need in, in terms of the uh, the real Kings roster makeup in that they're going to need a third point guard with, uh, who's uh, defensively minded. It's it's has to happen. I don't see how they can go into the season asking, De'Aaron Fox to be, uh, you know, a primary defender when uh, they're going to need him to be a closer. So they're, they're going to have to look for another guard, uh, another defensive-minded guard. Temple's there, but I, I want to see a point guard that uh, is a real dog on defense, you know, invited to training camp at least. Or no, Daxter Miles Jr., that's who it was. Dax Miles Jr., um, Daxter. I'm going to just call him Daxter because <laughs> I'm not sure the rest of his name. It was Miles. Um, I'm pretty sure it was Miles, yeah. Yeah, Dex. Yeah, but he he had really good defensive footwork, and I thought he ran the team particularly well during his squatted minutes. So uh, I'll I'll look forward to seeing what he has to bring in Vegas. Yeah, he reminded me a little of uh, the way he would get on a guy like Beverly. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's interesting that he's not going to be on the roster in Vegas. I know there were oh. it was rumored that he had. Um, received a two-way offer from the Kings, but no one had ever really been able to confirm it. Um, but that was coming from his coach's tweet, and reading it was kind of hard to understand. Yeah. 
um, exactly what it was. But to me, if he would have gotten an offer, I would think he would be there on the roster right. in Vegas, right. but he's not. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a bummer. Know. But that's it bummer was sure. nice seeing that. Dang, I didn't know that. I was really looking forward to seeing what else he had to offer. Um, I know. Oh, okay. Well, then that's that's a bummer. Yeah. On my, <laughs> that was disappointing. <laughs> well, the Kings could always bring him in for training camp. It happens all the time where guys play well in yeah. Super League, no matter what team it's on, and then he catches on somewhere else. He, and he's a guy I'll watch because, like you guys said, I actually thought he ran the team better than Frank Mason in that third game. When the Kings finally made their push um, against Miami, it was with him kind of running the show. Uh, and, yeah, like yeah. I said before, he was, he was probably the best player that wasn't um, – one of the Kings roster guys. Matt Jones, he played um, on the Reno team last year. Um, but he's another, I believe he's a Duke guy, but he was a 3 and D type player. Um, and so it looks like they're adding him to the roster for Vegas. Hmm. So that'll be interesting to see if he gets time and what he was able to develop while being at their system there. I think that'll be interesting. May, may I ask you all something? What does uh, Nigel Hayes bring? We've seen him a few times now, and I'm just not, you know, I'm sure he's a great locker room guy and all that. I, I'm, I'm just, I I haven't really seen a standout impact on the court from him. So I'm just wondering if there's any other observations there. He's a strong dude and a pretty heady defender. But in the California Classic, he did nothing through three games, which was actually kind of surprising to me. I thought he'd get a starting spot, which he may have started the first game. I can't t- quite remember the starting lineups. And I was expecting more from Nigel Hayes because I thought he was, uh, I thought he could sneak in with a two-way in Sacramento. But after a poor showing at the California Classic, and I'm not sure if he's on the Vegas roster. Jill, do you know by any chance? I believe he is. Yeah, maybe he'll show some more there because I, you know, he's a strong player, good defender out on the perimeter, which the Kings don't have. And if he can hit the three consistently, that is theoretically what they could use out of a two-way guy. But he didn't show it in the California Classic. Maybe he shows some more in Vegas. But, he, he, you know, he had some moments towards the end of last season. I prefer Jakar Sampson if we're talking about, like, those two-way type fringe 10-day contract D-League guys. Uh, Jakar would be my pick over someone like Nigel Hayes, but I don't know. I'm not, you know, I'm not in love with Nigel Hayes, but there might be something that he should place on Vegas. I'm nuts about Jakar. I'm nuts about Jakar. I think he... I if, love if, him. Yeah. if he's your starting three at the beginning of the season, like, two, two-way contract, forget that. If he's your starting three at the beginning of the season, like, you could do a lot worse. And I'd much rather see them do this, something like that than throw $18 million at Zach Levine. It says that they offered him a two-way, but I haven't heard if he's accepted it or not. So I don't know if Chikar has like the ball skills to, to play three. That would be my concern. Because he plays super hard. I love what he does on defense. I love what he does on the glass. But I'm not sure how great his handle is or his shot is for someone, for how small the NBA is going now. That would be the Kings kind of going in the other direction big, which I don't hate, in theory, the idea of a team kind of going against the grain. Uh, I don't know if I trust the Kings to be that team to figure it out. And I don't know if Jakar Sampson is good enough to be, like, the guy that makes that work. Um, but I do I, I like him. I obviously like his effort, and he, he, he likes being here, which is always always a plus. Um, so I, I am fun, generally pro-Jakar. And fun fact about him, that his t- uh, the Kings called him SpongeBob last year. But um, For any reason in particular? Well... As a fellow diastema holder, is probably the gap in his teeth. But um, we, I, I can say that because I have one. No, uh, but uh, I would. I, I don't know. I, yeah, you're right about his ball skills. I, you know, he doesn't have the handle, but I, he was such a big reason that the Kings beat the Cavs that one game. Great defender and the, great defender. I mean, he was 
he handled LeBron as better as as good as anybody I've seen this season. Mm-hmm. You know, so that that got me really excited. I was thinking, okay, well, if he could do that for thirty minutes, you know, why why not uh, why not give him a shot? And, and, and he can hit the three. I don't know with what kind of consistency because the sample size is way too small. But I mean, he he can hit the three. So let me. Well, if the going rate is a guy that can run the court and is athletic, he clearly fits that bill. So, you know, it would work. But, no, he's so much fun to watch, though. He brings the energy every single time he's on the court. He makes the most out of his minutes. Um, He's just one of those guys where, kind of like the Quincy Aces when they go out there, you can't, like, not root for those guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's got a spot on a roster somewhere. Did you all see the – the STR comment that said, you know, we've had a Quincy AC and a Quincy Doobie. Where's our Quincy Tripley? <laughs> uh, I would, that sounds like a name that could exist somewhere. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll have to, we'll have to get him on the Kings at some point. We should talk about, we're going to talk about everyone on the roster. Uh, maybe not quite as in depth as Marvin Bagley, but Harry Giles, I think we're all going to have very positive things to say about the Harry Giles experience. Jill, what did you think of Harry Giles, uh, not only his first game for the Sacramento Kings, but his first game in, what, like two years? Oh, my. It was so much fun watching him out there. And I was a couple rows back from his family, too, and seeing, like, their reactions to him out there, it was, I mean, it was so cool to just see. Like, you could tell they were all just so excited. I mean, this has been, what, a year and a half, two years, mm-hmm. almost? He barely played since, for Duke, so, you I know, mean, kind he's of been years. on the court, yeah. Um, and, you, you know, you, like I said before, you see all those articles about, you know, he's the forgotten man that um, that people don't remember him. But you could you could see all the flashes that we had been hearing about last year at practice regarding the really good passing. He made great cross, cross-court passes, um, was hitting guys and cuts. Um, on the defensive end, he was deflecting passes. You could see his how much his length was working at, but he was very aggressive there. He had, you know, was on the ground a couple times, getting right back up, running. Um, he was setting really good screens. They weren't phantom screen uh, screens, which was really nice to see. He was actually sticking his like hips and butt out and getting a guy, um, and that got JJ open a couple times. Uh, but, no, it was just really good seeing him out there running the court. I mean, he looked fluid, uh, very much engaged. You could see the basketball IQ, too, that he was always thinking, um, you know, and getting on himself that you could tell since I was behind the uh, the bench. You know, he'd get frustrated. But it was cool seeing, like, Buddy and those guys sitting there as well, continuously pumping him up when he was getting frustrated. But, yeah, like, he genuinely looked like, he just had a great time being out there and then we had a great time watching him. So to me, I I was really, I came away really impressed. Yeah. He was, uh, even if he didn't play well, I would still walk away like super happy for the guy, but he also played pretty well. I think on offense, he had some similar Mm -hmm. issues that Bagley had, whether it was playing too fast or just, you know, I would imagine for a guy like Harry Giles, when you haven't played uh, for as long as he hasn't played, the difference between live game action versus an opposing team versus like practice action is dramatic difference. So when you would get the ball on offense, I think there was uh, an element where he was either playing too fast or kind of like, oh, I got to like, I'm against real competition now. Like, what am what are my moves? Like, I haven't played in this setting in so long. So I think there's some progress that he can still make offensively. But 
what I was surprised about, and, and which is very exciting for any Kings fan or probably Dave Yeager, is that he showed some seriously good instincts on defense, whether that's helping, flashing out on the perimeter on pick and mm-hmm. rolls, getting his hands in passing lanes. He must he had more deflections in three California Classic games than maybe any big I've seen the Kings trot out there in like three years. Um, right. <laughs> and that's how you get minutes if your coach is Dave Yeager. If he can be a real difference maker on defense in the front court, which is something the Kings don't have. I mean, we've all wanted Willie Cauley-Stein to be that guy. Costa Cupas is a very good defender, but I don't know how many minutes they're going to give to him this season. He's a veteran. They're kind of developing the young guys. And if Harry Giles can come into training camp and be like their rock on defense, again, only through three California Classic games, but that would be a huge win for Sacramento and a, and a huge win for Harry Giles to carve out a role like that, uh, kind of get himself some minutes because that's what Jaeger rewards for the most part. Jaeger rewards defense and effort and yeah. toughness, specifically toughness because Jaeger straight up called the team soft multiple times last season. You saw Harry Giles in game one talking trash with Mo Wagner like the entire game <laughs> and he was physical with everyone, talking to everyone. I just, Mo, Mo asked for that, by the way. He did Mo, ask. Mo, Mo, yeah. He started off that whole mess, and then he didn't know what he got himself into because Marvin and Harry gave it right back to him as soon as he started, like, yakking his jaw. So that was really good to see those guys just, like, not take anything from him. Moe's going to be a troublemaker in the NBA. I'll tell you what, watching him three, through those games. There, yeah. was some, there was some chatter that Mo was going to be the uh, the Kings' second-round pick. If they, he was my favorite. Yeah, which would have been – like, he's an agitator, yeah. like you said, Kamani, but he's also – I mean, he's got some skill. He's going to be a – He's going to be a good NBA player, I think. I was impressed with what he did in California, too. Oh, yeah. He's just really slow, though. And that, that was like, he was alarmingly slow. And then when he blew, and so when he easily stepped around Bagley the first game, I was, that was, uh, that was something that uh, I noticed that really glared out to me. It was like, okay, this guy's really slow. And he's getting right around Bagley because Bagley, for, for some reason on defense, he just moves his feet and applaud. Big plodding steps. I, I, I don't know. It's something that's easily corrected, though, so it's not something I'm worried about. But there's a reason Mo Wagner was able to easily get around him. Yeah, I thought actually this is the second time I'm shouting out Doug Christie. Um, but he made a nice point about Bagley's defense where it's almost like Bagley is – I know we're kind of going backwards in the conversation. But Bagley's kind of like bouncing on defense instead of sliding, which makes all of his moves very dramatic. So he can't recover. Like he'll he'll overcommit from one fake and then if the guy goes the other direction because he's not really sliding properly on defense he's more kind of like bouncing it's a it's a more uh, dramatic body movement and he's having a hard time getting to the right spots once he commits to one area um, which is something that he's obviously going to have to work on but I thought it was a pretty good assessment of why Bagley's struggling on defense to kind of stay in front of guys like you said like Wagner who he's clearly more athletic than he should be able to contain him off the bounce maybe Mo will shoot in his face a couple times because he's a good shooter but he shouldn't be getting beat off the dribble by him. And I think that's some right. just some defensive right. fundamentals that he needs to work on. How about Justin Jackson yeah. uh, bouncing back from the first game, huh? Yeah, what did you think about that, Kamani? Well, uh, yeah, he definitely <clears> – <throat> that first game, it didn't even feel like he showed up. He didn't I, – I don't know what that was, you know. Uh, he just – he just disappeared. And, you know, you figured the second-year player – come out with something to prove the three is wide open for him to start there this year if he can actually just be that three and d guy with a little bit of handle and um the last two games that's exactly what he did and i was really impressed with his showing against the the heat i mean he showed he could be 
you know, he could be featured in the offense at times, which is really nice to to think about. Jill, what did you think of Justin Jackson? I know yeah, you missed the I last mean, game, but his, his second his second and third game were night and day from the first game. Um, and that's kind of what we had the issue with last year is he would disappear at times and you, you would forget that he was out there. Um, because I mean, I think it was the first game he had what five points. I don't know if he had any assists, rebounds. If he did, it was very minimal. Um, but the last two, I mean, he, uh, he asserted himself in that game, right? In each of those games, um, which was nice to see and whether it was, because there were players who weren't playing. I mean, I don't know, but whatever which he clicked on for those two games, um, I hope he continues it into Vegas because we did see that last year in Vegas where he'd have a good game and then it'd be an off game and then he had a good game and then it'd be an off game. But um, as you said, as a second-year player, I would like to see that consistency um, keep building. But it makes a huge difference for him when he squares himself up to the basket when he's shooting. Um, to me, his shots are night and day when he does that, and they're going in. So if he can, if he consistently do that and square himself up um, as he's cutting or you know um, screening and then catching a pass, um, when he turns himself and gets his hip square with the basket, it's, it's in. So whether that's the one thing he needs to work on to consistently do that, um, I'd like to see that keep going. Uh, he was making some really good cuts in the last two games, which was nice to see, and I don't think he was doing that very much in the first. Um, so, But, yeah, just keeping – he seems like he has a good basketball IQ, so if he can just figure out um, – to where to get himself in, in good positions because he seems to get open shots when mm. he does get them. Um, they're, they're good shots. So if he can just continue, continue to be um, consistent with that, um, that, that's the JJ I want to see. And, and I think the Kings will be, be obviously they will be much better off um, whether he starts or comes off the bench. If he can consistently produce like that, um, that's a huge win for the core going forward. Yeah, to me with Justin Jackson, it's all about the production because he does a lot of things that I like offensively. Um, and you saw it last season where he got a bunch of minutes, but he didn't really produce in those minutes. But he does things that I personally like in like a role-playing offensive player because he moves really well with the ball. And like you said, Jill, so many of his shots are of the wide-open variety. Unfortunately, he mm -hmm. hit a shockingly low percentage of those shots, but he knows how to get open and where to be and where to stand, and he's patient on offense. He doesn't rush anything, and you don't see him stop the ball ever. I mean, how many times last season did you did Justin Jackson get the ball, and you're like, man, just pass it, move it, do something. You're just standing there with the ball. Never happened because he, he made quick right. decisions on offense, but the production wasn't there, and we were kind of uh, going down the Ben McLemore road with him where it's like mm. this guy's getting a ton of minutes, but he's – he, at some point, you've got to produce because the team is having a hard time scoring and you need something there. And just seeing the production in the last two California Classic games were encouraging to me because he needs to be more aggressive, which he got more aggressive. Um, but beyond just being more aggressive, he needs to hit those open shots that he's working to get. Like he's doing the hard part, which is getting the open right. looks. The easy part should be hitting those open looks. That's the He hadn't done it last year. 
he did it in those last two California Classic games. Uh, oddly enough, his defense was kind of bad uh, in the California Classic, which is, you know, he's not a great defensive player, but usually that IQ kind of allows him to contain defensive players where he's never been a liability there. Uh, even in his rookie year, I thought he wasn't like a great defender, but he, he wasn't getting targeted a whole bunch either. For, and for a rookie, that's kind of all you can ask for. Like, is he holding his own? I thought he did hold his own. Uh, in the California Classic, I didn't think his, his defense was great. But just getting him to produce is everything for that guy. Like, getting him to shoot the three from, like, like 38% from three, at least, that's huge. That's everything. That's the difference between him being a 10-year NBA pro and, like, a guy who's unfortunately out of the league in a couple of years. Um, so right. great to see uh, those last two games to see him actually produce. We were talking about how he can get open. That reminded me something with Harry, too, where um, – he wasn't hitting all of his shots, but he was getting really good looks as well. He was putting himself, to me, in really good opportunities and was getting open looks so that if he can knock those down, um, it was very uh, Chris Weberish, you know, um, at the top corner of the key there where he was getting those open looks. If he can just knock it down, I think that that would be huge. On Justin Jackson, last point on him is just uh... – his ball skills have really improved since the season ended. Mm. Um, you know, he can go three dribbles with his right, three dribbles with his left. And he always had uh, decent ball skills. But now, I mean, what I saw against the Heat was just really confident ball handling. And, you know, last year we, we, we were all concerned that he would turn out to be kind of a Mecklemore clone. And that alone sets him apart right there. So I, I'm looking forward to seeing how that translates into the regular season. Because if he's picked that up in, you know, four months three months since the season ended, uh, he's really improved that skill. Uh, I'd like to see where that's at come October. I think we can kind of gloss over De'Aaron Fox. Um, he played one summer league game, and he was very good uh, getting to the basket better than ever. Again, one summer league game. Really pushing the ball, though, which is what you want to see from your starting point guard. But of, uh, I guess, more immediate concern or interest is uh, Frank Mason because he played a majority of minutes at point guard for the Kings during these first three games. Jill, what did you think of Frank Mason's play? Um, he was okay. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the takeaway. Um, to me, he didn't really stand out very much or set himself apart totally. I thought that there were times when Miles had better minutes than Frank did. And so I would like to see how Frank does here in Vegas, being that he's going to be the sole guy. And if he can work on continuing to get... Uh, the rest of the team involved. Um, there were quite a few times where he would move up the court pretty fast and then would take a quick shot, but the rest of the team wouldn't be there, so there would be nobody to rebound. And then, unfortunately, he would miss it, and then you would see the guys put their head down like, oh, God, and then they'd have to run all the way back across the court again. Mm-hmm. Um and so there, I mean, and I get it. There are certain times where I think that those shots can be okay. But I mean, at that point, it wasn't really, unless you're for sure going to make it, which you can't really be. Um, I don't know if now's the time to be taking those shots necessarily. I mean, he had his flashes again where he looked good, but then there were times too where he drove in the lane and there was just nowhere to go. He would get swatted. Um, there'd be nobody to pass to. And, it, I mean, you would just be driving into, like, three guys and hit a dead end. I, I don't know. I don't really know what – I know he's going to be back up this year, at least at this point. 
I don't know how many minutes they figure he's going to be getting because I figure that Fox will be getting the majority of the minutes. But I didn't think that him and Fox worked that well out there together. The first game they did start together. Wouldn't imagine that we would see that too much in the regular season with having Buddy and Bogey. But I don't know. At least the first three games, I just, I like Frank, but to me it was just kind of meh. Like, I I wasn't super thrilled, but I wasn't totally disappointed, I guess. It was just kind of uh, in the middle. Um, I made an observation of uh, out of out of the day one uh, results that Frank, uh, you know, was a point guard and Darren was more of a weapon. And then Frank proceeded to go into the next uh, two games, just kind of breaking layup after layup and throwing my uh, assessment in the trash. So thank you, Frank. Um, but no, uh, I think part of that is that the unit he was playing with. I mean, he's not yeah. he's not playing with the NBA players. You know what I mean? He's kind of out there leading. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the other guys that are good. Um, and, and he assisted the ball very well in that scenario. So I still kind of stick by my point that, you know, he, he, he runs the offense well. It, it, it's just not a lot of scores on the floor in, in summer league. So um, what I would like to see him do is watch a lot of tape of Steve Nash and, yes, Isaiah Thomas, because what they do is when they have those uh, three to four defenders collapse on them, they actually continue their dribble along the baseline. They don't have to throw up a layup. So they'll continue mm-hmm. the dribble along the baseline. Steve Nash usually would then hit the trailer on the play for a dunk or yeah. kick it out to an open shooter. That's all. I mean, that's he, he gets into the lane with no problem. So I would just really like to see him like scale back the need to shoot and figure out a way to keep his dribble alive so he can uh, curl around the collapsed defenders and find the open uh, player. If he does that, um, yeah. you know, that, that would be really, really impressive. So, uh, and then um, my, I do have a complaint about kind of the offensive scheme that they were running. Cause it's the same one that they were using during the season. And uh, it's, it's just, it's a clogged offense. I, I don't know how else to put it. Yes. So. Extremely. And that's what I really, I mean, I know you might ask players to, you know, to be on your team and whether they agree or not, but I don't really totally understand the construction of this team necessarily. We didn't really seem to have any kind of outside threat at all. And then all of the the big guys we had were, were cloggers that there wasn't really any kind of stretch fours or big men either. So, like yeah. you said, I mean, it was just very, very clogged and congested. I think you made a good point, Kamani, about Frank Mason almost, you know, he can get to the rim. The problem is when he gets there, it usually results in like a, a poor play for the Kings. If he could dribble through almost like Steve Nash used to do, where he, he dribbles through that baseline and finds someone inside after the fact. Because once he gets uh, in there with the trees, it, it doesn't usually end up well for Frank Mason. I think my my concern with him is that, He's 24 years old. He was a four-year college player. He's already played a year in the pros. He should be playing, to me, a little bit better in this kind of setting. You know, he's, he's a tough player, and he's got a scoring mindset, and he wasn't able to really show that, um, again, through three games. So it's kind of, you know, everything's with a grain of salt. It's kind of ultimately, like, who cares? But he wasn't, uh, he wasn't all that impressive to me, and I think you saw that, like you mentioned, uh, Kamani, again. My, how, how great Miles looked, and I think part of that was how not poor just Frank Mason looked, but how poor the team played 
when Frank Mason was the the primary ball handler out there. And then Miles comes in and gave the team some life, and you saw them start to come back in that last game against Miami. That's not all Frank Mason's fault, uh, certainly. But I think there's no, uh, yeah. there's room for Mason to grow. Um, but at the same time, you know he's 24, so so how much how much more improving should we expect? I don't know. But he can play right. better than he played. That's that's I guess that's where I'm where I'm going. Absolutely, absolutely. Oh yeah. And he proved last he proved last year he could play. Yeah. I mean there's there's no doubt about that. And then it, it, unfortunately he got hurt. So I am excited to see him get back out there healthy, you know, with the regular team and seeing the kind of player that we know or that we've seen flashes of. You know, if he can give us six to eight assists and like two threes off the bench, that's kind of that's kind of what you need from him and consistent defense. I mean, he, he's a smaller guy, so uh, he's got to find a way to be an effective defender despite that, um, which, you know, generally means if when you're small like that, you can swarm the big guys really quickly and get back to position. So, you know, there, there's uh, there's some use there. I didn't really see anything from him that stood out on defense. Um I did like that he hit the uh, you know the three at the end of the quarter there. I forget which game that was, but you know that was a kind of a big shot, a big moment. Um, and yeah, he just you know I'm staring at, I'm staring down my 200 millimeter at, at him when he's driving through the lane and he's driving into three guys and it's like okay, look they collapsed on you. That's fine. You know that means there's somebody open. So just continue that dribble. I don't I, you know just try to find a way to to. Like you say, he's 24. So how, how do we trust that he's going to open his mind to uh, to passing the ball first? It's it's tough. But we it did uh, that Frank Mason, Darren, that whole the point guard situation in the, in the classic uh, really illustrated the need for me anyway that the Kings needed defensive minded uh, guard. So if it's Marcus Smart, if it's uh, you know somebody off the waiver wire, if it's Daxter Miles, you know it, it just it's a need. We're in an interesting position this year. Uh, um, that's pretty much going to do it for the podcast in terms of like analyzing the players that we saw. But it is interesting, you know, now that we have this podcast recorded, even if we hadn't recorded the podcast, we've got three games of data, and Summer League, big-time Summer League, hasn't even started yet. So it's going to be really interesting to see how these guys improve or hopefully not, uh, but decline as they play through Vegas, um, see if, you know, Marvin Bagley improves. I know Harry Giles said that... Uh, you will know who Marvin Bagley is by the end of Vegas. Like, don't take these first three games too seriously. Just wait till he, you know, by the end of this summer league, he's going to show you what he can do. So I'm, I'm excited to see that, and I'm excited to see how the team looks um, heading into into Vegas. And Jill, I'm sure we'll talk to you again yes. uh, from, from there. Uh, any parting thoughts yeah. from either one of you guys from just the California Classic before we wrap up? To add on to what you were saying, that I did like that Bagley, after it was over, his first thing was saying that he was going to go watch the tape. Mm-hmm. He was going to yeah. go watch the video and see what he was doing, where he was completely missing, and if he can figure that out. I mean, whether it works or not, I do like a guy that is, you know, not delusional, but saying, like, I want to go look at the video and I want to see what I'm missing. And so if he can put that together, like Carrie was saying, you know, and and kind of read and fix maybe some of the stuff that, that happened in these last two games, then um, that'll be really exciting to see. All right. Before we end the show, Kamani, why don't you uh, tell everybody what you got going on and where they can find you? Uh, you guys can find me at the Kamansta on Twitter 
at NBA Lensface if you just want the NBA related stuff, and on Instagram at the Comonsta as well, and at NBA Lensface. And Jill, I know you'll be uh, providing some live coverage over there in Vegas. Where can they find that? Oh yeah, um, yeah. You can go to at Jilladge, um and see all my summer league hot takes from Vegas. <laughs> awesome! Thanks, guys, for joining the podcast. <laughs> this was fun, and uh, I'm sure I'll catch up with both of you guys in, in not too in the not too distant future. Ready to take the next step. I'm ready for a university that will help me advance in my education and career. A university that will make me feel supported and connected. I'm ready for ODU Online. Click this ad or go to online.odu.edu today. I'm ready to make my credits count. I'm ready to take classes from a university that will help me build on my experience to prepare me for the future. A university that will make me feel supported, encouraged, and connected. Click this ad or go to online.odu.edu today.